0: This is an ABC podcast. Lock the doors. That's climate action now. This
1: Prime Minister does not like scrutiny.
0: The Labour
2: Party is clearly embarrassed. This is a Prime Minister who cannot stand up for integrity. How good
1: is Australia? Those
0: opposite are all smear and no idea.
3: Hello and welcome to the party room. I'm Patricia Carvalis, the host of RN Drive, and welcome back. Today is my co host, the host of Insiders, David Spears. Hey,
0: PK, great to be here. We're at least a a metre and a half away. We are uh, actually a metre and a half away from each other. We are, we're being careful. Plenty to discuss today.
3: Now, Fran is off this week. David is my co-host, but, of course, he's been on this podcast before and you know him as the host of Insiders. He knows just a bit about politics, not too much, just a bit. Uh, Look, there is a lot to talk about. The world has changed quite dramatically uh, Mm. since we last recorded the podcast last Thursday. In fact, two key press conferences have been held by the Prime Minister with different announcements I think one of the most significant changes, David, which is leading to a lot of the, the other consequences we're seeing, the changes to our lifestyle, is this national cabinet that meets now once a week or even more with the premiers. And this is really a game changer.
0: Oh, it is. I think it's been a really smart move because it means there's there's a collective decision-making process here, obviously. And when it comes to these incredibly difficult decisions, which they are... About schools, about you know cafes, pubs, gyms, you, know, y- you name it. Each one of these decisions has enormous consequence, one way or the other. Which whichever way you go, so there needs to be a collective buy-in on this, and they are relying on the state and federal health officials when it comes to these decisions as well. So, look, it gives us some confidence that you know they're not playing politics along the way here, or that you know sure you might not be a fan of Scott Morrison. Well, you know you can bag decisions he's made, but if it's a collective buy-in. I think that should give us a bit more confidence about the process.
3: So they've announced a range of measures. We have now Mm. a cap of 500 people in outdoor gatherings. That was announced last Friday but really strengthened this week and now a cap on indoor gatherings as
0: well. Yeah, of more than 100 people. So what's that? Uh, Weddings, um, big conferences. Churches. Churches, yes. Uh, Mosques. Mosques. You know, uh, I guess bigger uh, restaurants and so on. But essential gatherings of more than 100 can still go ahead, so schools, universities, but also workplaces, mining sites, we're told, shopping centres and trains, buses and so on. You can still use the train station and so on. So, look, yes, Scott Morrison this week was had come a long way, I thought, in the space of a week, where a week earlier he'd been toying with going to the footy and so on. He was a lot more decisive, forward-leaning, sober, um, spoke with conviction but I would say this, PK, I still think we're a long way short of what a lot of other countries are doing, aren't we? You can still go to the gym, you can still go to the bar if there's less than 100 people, you can still go to school and to university and you can still catch the train and so on. So there is obviously a risk with all of these things. The one thing the Prime Minister stresses is that this is really a once-in-a-generation, once-in-a-century
1: type of crisis. Life is changing in Australia. as it is changing all around the world? Life is going to continue to change as we deal with the global coronavirus. This is a once in a hundred year type event. We haven't seen this sort of thing in Australia since the end of the the First World War. But together, we are of course up to this challenge.
3: Let's go through measure Mm. by measure, David. And you're right, the response has changed dramatically. You're the host of Insiders. You're interviewing the Chief Medical Officer and the Health Minister. It was okay to shake hands, apparently, on Mm -hmm. Sunday morning. Now we are socially distancing in a way I have never seen in my lifetime. It's incredible. And let's just go through the measures. A major level four travel restriction on the entire world. Not done that before. I still... I can't even fathom what that is. It is enormous. Yep. He said, don't go anywhere mm. and if you're overseas, come back immediately. So what are the implications for the economy, for the airlines?
0: Well, Qantas, uh, as we record this on a Thursday morning, is announcing that it is going to be ending international flights. So, I mean, it's it's incredible. How many people would have family members who are living or working in uh, New York, where there's a you know terrible outbreak there, um, in Italy, in other parts of the world, London, you know obviously the figures in the UK are concerning as well. Do they scramble to get back home uh, ASAP, where they'd have to spend two weeks in isolation? I, I think many are going to be trying to do that because we've not been here before. This is really isolation, Australia, fortress Australia. But I think it's a sensible step, right? I mean, as much as we can limit the international intake of this the better. Most of the cases still are coming from overseas in Australia. They are coming from overseas. And we talked a
3: little bit about messaging and how now we have more national coordination. There is more consistency now, particularly with this 100 person limit to Mm. gatherings about schools and universities. All the premiers I noticed on the Wednesday, were singing from the same song sheet in terms of the schools particularly. But you and I know we've got kids, we're going through these dilemmas ourselves. Should we send them? uh, What is our social responsibility? What is our
0: responsibility to our own children? This is really hard. And you and I have been talking a bit about this, PK, because, you know, uh, parents are having this conversation in the, you know, school ground at pick up time, uh, over the kitchen table at home. I know we are. Is it the right thing to have them there or not? Now, at the moment, I've got my kids there. Um, They're in a state school. uh, And, you know, I'm comforted by what the Prime Minister and the the Chief Medical Officer and the rest of them have said about, uh, you know, the low risk of um, uh, spread amongst kids at school, what they've said about it's actually the health advice to keep them at school. But I can totally understand the many parents who are voting with their feet and doing the the opposite. I don't know. What do you think?
3: I understand that parents are taking action themselves. And people think it's just that they're worried about their children's health. There is this movement now, as you know, called Flatten the Curve. Some people feel like the government's not going far enough and closing everything down. And people are watching what's going on around the world. This is the issue. So they're seeing that in the UK, yes, they have higher cases. Yes, their spread is more intense, but that they are shutting down the schools. Mm. And so they're thinking, well, if they're doing it, that's the way you flatten the curve. I I think it's not fair to re- misrepresent all parents as if they're just worried about their children. They're worried about the societal, white health. The kids can
0: spread it. The kids can spread it to grandma, Super some people they have argued. Exactly. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, the kids will probably be fine based on the data, but it's who they spread it to is is the issue here. Um, look, it's incredibly difficult, though, because I think, you know, Scott Morrison makes the valid point. If you shut schools you know, and this was the powerful point he made, you're doing it for six months at least. And, and you know, the UK, I think, is saying more like 12 months. So you, you wipe out, and, and Morrison has said this, you basically, they're not going to school for the rest of this year. That's a year of education lost. Not only a year of education lost, and sure, you know, you can school, homeschool and so on. But the economic impact that has, a lot of low-income families who are going to be out of work, kids at home, this is going to have a lasting impact on them. The, the you know Unless the safety net is significantly strengthened, and maybe it will be, um, it's, it's an enormous disruption to their lives, not only to their education, but to their livelihoods. Uh, you've also got the health workforce impact too. As the PM said, about a third of the health workforce would be knocked out if they had to stay home and look after kids. I reckon there's possibly a way around that. Maybe if you're essential workers, you need it in the hospitals, Someone can look after your kids. I don't know. Maybe that's being workshopped at the moment. These well, it's are... what
3: they're doing in the UK. Yeah. Uh, they're, not, you know, they're not having healthcare workers
0: stay home with kids in the UK. If you're an intensive care nurse, right, um, you, you're needed. Uh, but these are very, the point I'm making is these are very complicated decisions. And I've got a lot of sympathy for governments right around the world trying to make the right call on this. Here's the Prime Minister's message on schools.
1: Whatever we do, we've got to do for at least six months, six months. So that means the disruption that would occur from the closure of schools around this country, make no mistake, would be severe. What do I mean by severe? Tens of thousands of jobs could be lost, if not more. The impact on the availability of health workers, a 30 per cent impact on the available health workers is our is our advice. That will put people's lives at risk. I tell you what, it's
0: fascinating that he's now using this six month line so strongly. Because a week ago we were hearing a lot about we're going to bounce back strongly on the other side of this. This is a finite thing and we're you know, making sure the economy is okay so that we can bounce back strongly on the other side. I think the language has changed a lot in the space of a week now to hear this talk about six months at least as a minimum uh, once you start doing these things. It tells us that, you know, we're definitely facing recession. People are starting to use the D word here, depression as well. And I'm going to alarmist here, but the world is heading for a pretty, you know, dark economic place right now.
3: Yeah, and we're going to talk about this more with our guest, Annika Smethurst, in a moment. But I think that's this is a, a 2 twofold issue. There's a health crisis, and that's the immediate one. But the economic consequences are so enormous, they're almost unfathomable. Mm. And all of us know anecdotally, I bet some of you listening right now have lost your jobs or have been told that the shifts have dried up. We know it's happening. Every night on RN Drive, I'm getting text messages about it. And it, I'm finding it... It's I'm going to be honest with people. I find it really sad. It's really sad because it's not just, oh, for two weeks you won't get some shifts. This is a long-term problem. So... We'll get into some of the detail, but we know right now, just within days of the first stimulus package, which was worth nearly 18 billion, and you know mm. the forward estimate's 22 billion, that the government's now devising another stimulus package. But this is not just a hey, we're going to boost some businesses. This is this is survival 101, isn't yeah, it?
0: Yeah, and and look, I thought it was Matthias Cormann um, who was once again probably the most frank in the government, saying. Uh, businesses are going to fold, people are going to lose their jobs. It, it's, it's going to be thousands, if not tens of thousands or more, that lose their jobs. So how does the government craft this? Uh, look, I think they're right in going with a step-by-step approach here. You don't want to, you know, fire all your ammunition uh, at once. But they've got to be thinking about, you know, more than just, I think, guaranteeing, you know, small business loans and so on you've got to start thinking about how do people pay the mortgage and the rent, right? If you're a casual and what is it, a quarter or a third of the workforce are casuals and you're suddenly unable to work, no, you know, leave entitlement, um, but you've got to keep your family in that home, preferably, what do you do? There's got to be some sort of living wage. Do you freeze mortgage repayments? Um, You know, you, you can't necessarily stop people having to pay the rent because someone else who owns that place might be relying on that income. It gets very complicated and very, very expensive, uh, as, as you you know unravel where this is going. David,
3: how much life has changed from just a couple of weeks ago, where mm. we were you know talking about delivering a, a surplus and the government talking about paying down debt and the importance yeah. there. That that's all gone. It's finished. That yep. conversation, it's just literally dead, buried and cremated. <laughs>
0: it, it is, and you know y- 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 you look at the example of elsewhere other countries and um, states and what the sort of situation there in I was listening to the New York state governor Andrew Cuomo about this and he's you know making the obvious point we've never seen anything like this it, it's a time like this that you really forget about the economy it's about keeping people alive uh, and we haven't seen this really since you know wartime hence the references it does mean that yes people are going to be out of work but the way he put it was As hard as that's going to be for them, if it means keeping a member of their family alive, they should be focusing on that. Uh, uh, Are we going to get to the point? I know within government here, there is some thought being given to this uh, about how you do make sure uh, food is made available to people. You know, we're talking about disaster planning, essentially. How do you make sure that basic medicines and food are rationed out to people? Um, You know, we heard the Prime Minister, what did he say? Stop it when it comes to panic buying. Strong line. I don't know if it's going to stop people uh, doing this, though. They're they're terrified uh, right now. So they've got to think about how you... And good to see the supermarket swinging into action here as well. But I I don't know. What do you think? Do you think people are going to stop stocking up? I mean... I think people are
3: freaking out. But I think there's some consumer behaviour going on here too. If they can lift the curfews and get more supplies into supermarkets. I was covering this story on RN Drive. Like, why are we seeing this kind of behaviour? I think the empty shelves drive the behaviour because you think, oh, it's not there. I need to get it. So if you can restock them, which hasn't been happening, then what you will create is a sense of calm and perhaps you can try and switch that behaviour. But one of the key messages, and finally it's starting to get out, is... We've got enough food in this country. You will not starve. We we can be certain of that. We can't be certain of everything, but we can be certain that you won't starve. Yeah, I
0: thought the supermarkets, it was good to hear them say, what is it, 80, 85% of their stock is grown or manufactured in Australia. That's good to hear, right? We we do have enough uh, food to get through this. But, I mean, look, you know, you you can call them ridiculous, un-Australian or whatever for doing this, but I can... I obviously don't understand some of the violence that we've seen, sadly, but I can understand why people have reacted the way they have in stocking up on a few extra items. Um, The toilet paper thing, obviously, I don't understand, but, you know, I won't deny I've bought an extra packet of dog food to keep the Labrador going. Good. I'm glad you have. And you can always borrow
3: some toilet paper off me, David. I would always share. Uh, I've always got a, a, a square to spare for you. Let's bring in our guest. National political editor for the Sunday News Corporation Papers, Annika Smethurst. Welcome back to the party
0: room. Good to be with you. Hey, Annika, you're sounding a little croaky there. (laughs) Should should we be worried?
2: Uh, Look, I am croaky. I don't believe I have coronavirus at this stage, but I'll be... You'll be the first to know well, if I don't.
0: look, uh, our hearts are with you, our thoughts are with you and just glad you're not in the <laughs> studio with us. Uh, have you been stocking up at all?
2: Look, I have been and it's not to the extent of I need, you know, two weeks and I haven't found myself punching anyone for toilet paper <laughs> just good yet. To- but, <laughs> good to hear. Just a little elbow. You know, just the moment you sort of go, walk into the stores and there's nothing there. Um, you start to think, well, maybe I should stuck up. But I did, I thought I was quite, I was a bit smug last week and I did order about $150 of groceries uh, in an online order and four things rocked up. So I paid $15 for some dental oh, wow. floss, two capsicums and some coconut milk. You'll be delivered. right for dental floss and capsicums, my goodness.
3: Important to floss yeah. your teeth. Look, Annika, <laughs> we've been talking extensively about the change in rules, social distancing writ large. We've got these new rules about the way we're functioning David and I are trying to keep away from each other. It's hard. Mm. We're in the studio. But, you know, we're all changing our behaviour. People are working from home, the people who can. Uh, Schools are still running, but we have new caps, but also new rules for aged care homes, which we didn't really Mm. get into too much, David.
0: Which is just on that, I I thought this sounded pretty sensible. Obviously, if you shut down aged care homes altogether, um, that's going to, you know, limit the risk uh, uh, to a greater degree for, for the most vulnerable But, boy, six months at least without any visitation, what a horrible, horrible prospect that is for for those in aged care. You know, I've got a 99-year-old grandmother in aged care right now and, yeah, the thought that she wouldn't be able to see anyone, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? It's... it's,
3: I feel like it's morally
0: wrong too,
3: particularly people in their last years, and that's what that is to be deprived of that these human These are the difficult content.
0: decisions, though, aren't they?
3: This is the dilemma, but I think we've got that right. I suppose the point, Annika, though, is we are changing these rules all the time. So now schools, are, we've talked extensively about the school's rule, but they're staying open. But that may shift at some point, right? Like they're constantly reviewing mm. all of this.
2: Absolutely. And I think the problem, and we as journalists fall into it, is that we've always sort of seen a shift or a, a sort of um, a change in language as a, as a rift in cabinet mm-hmm. or a change of direction or an, an, an admission of a mistake. Now, that's not necessarily the case. You know, this this moves so quickly that there is a possibility that on a Monday it's not necessary for something to happen and on a Friday it will be. And I think we all have to get into the habit of understanding that this is because of constantly changing advice and that it's not because the government has made a mistake in any way. Yes, they will make mistakes along the way. I'm not saying they're perfect, but I think looking for any sort of change in language between ministers or or professionals is really... Yeah, Yeah, I
0: think that's a really important point, the way um, the media and, I guess, everyone um, interprets and analyses and and, and views what various uh, politicians are doing with this it is a different environment because, yeah, sure, you can say, well, hang on, how come this state's doing something and that state's not? How come, you know, the UK is shutting schools and we're not? They're all finding their way and feeling their way with this in the dark uh, a bit. You know, yes, they've got to listen to the expert advice. They've got to look at the research on pandemic spread and so on. But, look, you know, I've been reading a bit today about Italy and whether the what are they into their four weeks of lockdown now. Has that really worked? There's a debate about this. There's no perfect solution here is there
2: no and as we constantly get told with the school examples is you know once some um, kids stay home then what do their parents do they should they be nurses should they be doctors who are they looking after mm. and also the, the sort of regional argument that a school in Dubbo or a school in Kerrang might not necessarily have any cases within miles of where they are compared to say a school in Sydney so I think we really do have to sort of be a bit you know critical of ourselves when we start calling for widespread measures that will really have a huge effect on the economy and also our workforce
0: one of the things the pm stressed in in saying we're not shutting schools because this i thought was a really big call that he made like yes he was very forceful in saying stop panic buying don't travel overseas (laughs) all, all these things but you know the big call was keeping schools universities public transport you know and smaller venues open um he said look look at singapore singapore have kept their schools open and they're, you know, amongst the best uh, when it comes to the caseload. Singapore are doing a few different things, they a lot of testing. Uh, I think Hong Kong, Taiwan as well. You go into a building, you get a temperature check, one of those, one of those little uh, yeah. electronic things. Um, yeah. And that's apparently been really successful. Is that something we should be looking at? I don't know how quite you do it, but every workplace, every building, school kids, I mean, do you, do you start temperature checking everyone all the time?
2: Look, it is a valid argument, and I haven't seen it anywhere here. I haven't been to an airport in a few weeks. Maybe they are doing it there. But Don't think Actually, so. no, nope. I, I was there a few weeks ago and I didn't see it. That's right. But, look, I think that is a valid point. That is the one thing people talk about when they do talk about Singapore as opposed to the example here. Now, that might be a huge logistical nightmare, but it would surely give parents sound, you know, a peace of mind to know that sick children or sick teachers aren't going into the classroom.
3: Let's talk about the economy, because this isn't just a health crisis. It's a massive economic crisis, really, at a scale we have not seen. This is, I think I can confidently say, David, I think you'd back me. This is worse than the GFC. This is, I I, I literally have not seen anything like it. People are losing their jobs in real time. This isn't, they will lose their jobs. It's happening right now. It's happening every day. We know with Qantas, Mm. for instance, Today, but uh, we're recording this on a Thursday morning, the government's now devising this multi-billion dollar rescue package, the second rescue package after the one last week. Annika, what's going to be in it? How are they going to do this to assist people who may not be able to pay their rent, their mortgages, basic things?
2: look there does seem to be a few things that are leaking out of this as you say by the time it's come out perhaps we will have a clearer idea of where we are on this i understand there's a couple of options being considered they're looking to overseas examples such as in britain and new zealand about what they've done there so look there is a push for i guess guarantees uh, for wages so that businesses can go out and you know prevent them from laying off staff Um, But there is a concern that, of course, businesses will do that anyway because Mm. they won't feel that they'll come out of this at the end and that is the concern that they won't keep staff on, they won't keep investing in their businesses because even with that guarantee that it requires them to spend now, and not many people are going to be feeling up to that if it, you know, is coming to do I pay the mortgage or do I pay for that? So, look, that is a really, really big concern and something the government are going to have to grapple with in the next few days as they before they tick off
0: on this. Yeah, and presumably by the time people hear this, the Reserve Bank uh, today will have cut interest rates uh, to a new record low of 0. 0.25 of a percent. But again, you know, I, I don't think that's going to be the magic saviour here. The question is, how far can the government go? I mean, you talk about guaranteeing wages or guaranteeing business viability, it's not a bottomless pit, uh, the government has. It's going to be getting... I mean, its tax revenues are going to go through the floor, right? As businesses mm. collapse, as the biggest businesses struggle their way through this, it's not going to be getting much revenue at all. You know, how, how much can it borrow? How much can it, you know, pump into the economy to keep people in, uh, you know, in, in some sort of uh, livelihood with their incomes? I I, you know, I don't know. Or We are well, going to have to get...
2: The clear the point with Coleman was Matthias uh... Komen was... You know, people will lose their jobs. The government need to actually be, I think, um, quite strong on this. Boris Johnson has really shown that, saying people will lose their loved ones. It's not the sort of messaging we hear from politicians, to be honest, but I think in times like this, it's actually what people need to know and that's the reality, that no matter what the government do, uh, people will lose their jobs. Up to a million people may lose their jobs and no amount of bailout is going to save everybody.
3: No, there is no amount of bailout that will save everybody. Look, everyone knows that this podcast deals not just with policy, of course we do, and we've been trying to so far, but also the politics. I don't want to get too much into the politics. I think it's, you know, tone deaf, but I that is what we do here, so I think it's mm. fair to just give it a bit of analysis. I think this has been a good week for the Prime Minister. I think last week was not a good week for the Prime Minister. I think on Friday last week, when he said he was still going to go to the football, it was well actually just bad. I think it was really bad and the wrong message. He seems to have changed that a bit, David.
0: Yeah, look, look, I agree. I just thought it was a bit of a strange look to say we're going to you know stop these big crowd events, but only uh, after the weekend. And I'm you know still planning to go to the footy, go Sharkies. I do think he's come a long way, Uh, even that, well, the Sunday afternoon, um, you know, he he was a lot more uh, forward-leaning on this uh, in in some of the measures he announced, and then midweek with the additional measures on the um, banning indoor gatherings of more than 100, you know, basically uh, being very frank with the uh, population about overseas travel, but also this stop panic buying. Have a listen to this. Stop hoarding.
1: I can't be more blunt about it. Stop it. It's not sensible, it's not helpful and I've got to say it's been one of the most disappointing things I've seen in Australian behaviour in response to this crisis. That is not who we are as a people, it is not necessary, it is not something that people should be doing. Um, What it does is it is distracting attention and efforts that need to be going into other measures to be focusing on how we maintain supply chains into these shopping centres. Yeah, look, I thought that was a really strong message, an important message
0: to get out there. But as I said earlier, the, the big call really was not to close schools, universities, uh, still let people go to smaller bars, cafes, catch the train, go to the gym. We, we will only know, I think, in the coming weeks whether that has been the right call and whether that needs to be adjusted. As Annika says, th- this is all scalable, it's all changing, and I'm sure if they need to, they will take these further steps... But right now, you know, yes, he's sounding, uh, I think, a lot more confident. He always speaks with conviction, doesn't he, Scott Morrison? And I think that's what people want to hear, that, yes, there's confidence behind these decisions. But we really won't know, I think, for a couple of weeks whether it's the right call.
2: No, I think there'll be, you know, months of analysis on this. There could even be royal commissions into a yeah. handling of this as there is everything else. But I think, you know, at the moment, um, being, being an opposition just for the opposition's sake is, is not the wise thing to do. And I think Labor have picked up mm-hmm. on that. Uh, I think the Prime Minister has realised what Australians wanted. It may have taken him a while, but... Both his experience through the summer bushfires and also last weekend. He I spoke to him on the weekend and he made the point about um the reason why he didn't go to the football in the end was not necessarily because he was scared of catching corona or giving it to somebody, but because of the message it would have sent after telling people not to gather together. So I think there were some missteps along the way, but what he has realized is that a clear, direct, strong voice, one voice, we're having fewer ministers come out and sort of speak, yeah. we're having more regular sort of updates, and that is exactly that's
0: what people the other watch. thing you told you, Annika, which you started using a lot more this week, is this six month time frame and really hammering that, that we're, we're going to be living with uh, these measures um, and they could escalate, as we've discussed, for at least six months, maybe more. And that's a bit of a wake up call, isn't it, I think, to everyone to get ready. Um, yeah, maybe that's behind some of the panic buying here, but it, to, to prepare themselves for this lasting quite a long time for arguably the rest of this year.
2: Absolutely and it was something I really tried to get out of him and I think he was quite hesitant to say it but I think in many ways we needed to know how long this was going for. A lot of people were thinking this was a a two-week hit or maybe after Easter things might go back to normal Um, and look it could be longer, it could be shorter but you know, behind closed doors, the government was preparing for a six-month sort of strategy on this. And I think it's really important that people know that, not for panic buying, um, but for that idea that getting used to this is how it's going to be for now. And it doesn't mean sitting inside forever, but just constantly needing to take precautions. This isn't a two-week or four-week proposition.
3: Annika, you've been a great guest and that's why you're invited. Um, Enjoying speaking to you, even if it's in a different kind of way in our social (laughs) distancing world. We're still close. We can still talk. Life can still be good. Thanks for coming on. Keep flossing. Take care, Annika. (laughs)
1: Keep (laughs) flossing. That
3: was good. Thanks, Annika. David, I think I can hear the bells ringing. It must be question time.
1: Questions without notice. The Leader of the Opposition. Thank you and and I'm pleased the question time at least is happening Mr Speaker. And we
3: have this question. Stimulus for business. Should it be targeted to businesses that are essential rather than a broad cash handout? Should some businesses be triaged? Advertising agencies, for example. What's the point?
0: Yeah, what's the point of advertising agencies right now? Is that the the question? Look, it's a really good question um, because, as with everything in this crisis, it relates back to how that um, curve is going. If we do need to really protect our health workforce, which I think has to be the priority right now, then yes, uh, I think any sort of economic package, uh, government support uh, over the coming weeks needs to focus on that, making sure that we can deal with the um, surge in the caseload. Um, or, you know, do you go with generally, let's keep everyone uh, afloat no matter what they do? Uh, look, I don't know if we can afford to be have that luxury, whether we do need to be targeted at just protecting that workforce, the health workforce.
3: The health workforce should be the priority. But look, think about it. The arts, tourism, there are so many workforces. And I think the government now realises, based on the talks with the tourism industry, with the arts industry, that it's a lot more broad ranging. And I spoke to Julian Lisa the other day on afternoon briefing and he said catering and restaurants, we really want to help them because they are on the front line hitting the wall. Uh, I know so many staff that have just been told the shifts are finished.
0: Yeah, they are. I mean, the list goes on and on. Anyone, a lot of industries hang off things like conferences, weddings, you know, anyone who does audio or PA for these sort of things, the the, the big sporting codes obviously are grappling with what to do here, but so many um, jobs hang off these big events. Uh, And then not to mention all of the entertainment industry, the arts, performers, you name it. Everyone in those sectors, tourism, all being affected by this. Can you support them all through this? Well, you'd like to think, yes, we can. But, boy, if we're looking at six, 12 months of this, there are going to be limits Uh, and, you know, there are going to need to be priorities about, uh, as I say, the health workforce, making sure they're healthy, supported... Um, I heard there's already a bit of an online, um, an app I think that's been launched, help adopt a health worker where you can deliver them some food or deliver them what they need to make sure that they're looked after uh, and so that they can keep doing what they're doing because they are in the front line. They are going to be at great risk of this as, as the caseload grows. And I think those sort of things are a terrific idea.
3: Yep, and shout out to my GP who's working very hard at the moment. Mm -hmm. All right, that's it from us. Thank you so much
0: for co-hosting with me, David. thank you. It's always fun hanging out with you. Dark issues we're talking about, but still.
3: Yeah, it wasn't really upbeat. But look, we're here for you every Thursday on The Party Room. You can subscribe. See you, David. See ya.
0: You've been listening to an ABC podcast.